As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today, we are reacting to the Broncos' first loss of the season. What went wrong in Buffalo? We're going to break it all down. You are listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up! Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It is time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. We are now, ladies and gentlemen, in the bizarre twilight zone where the Donald Trump thing, that sphere, has intersected with the NFL. Now, personally speaking, I'm a stand-up for the National Anthem type of guy. I'm one of those dudes kind of gets choked up every now and then when the anthem is sung at uh, ball games. I'm that dude. But we live in the United States where freedom of speech is guaranteed under the Constitution. Will, are you a stand for the anthem guy? Were you an NFL player? For example, do you think yesterday you would have taken a knee or would you have stood, you know, in the wake of the president's, let's face it, inflammatory comments? Yeah, I mean, along with everybody, I really wish that he had kind of kept a little bit of separation of NFL church and state going on and kind of left the NFL protests to the NFL and, and not rock the boat. But, and, and I think he'll, he'll find that it's, it's going to be in the long term not conducive to um, any future political aspirations, but that's of course not what we're here to talk about. Uh, I think um, I think I'd be like No Sean Moreno, where I'd stand with my hand over my heart, crying waterfall-sized tears for the anthem. Yeah. Or I think more realistically, because no one knows what you would do, and, and no one really knows what goes on in that locker room except for the players and coaches. But I like to think I'd be like Garrett Bowles, where I'm, I'm standing, standing up for the anthem with my hand over my heart, but but maybe one hand. And on, on the shoulder of someone that's kneeling. Yeah. But yep. I think something, and we talked about it too, but something that's been lost kind of in the shuffle of saying the players have, have the right to the protest, and of course they do, 100%. And I, I don't want to um, comment on the, on the political nature of those protests and the content of those protests, but sure. it's just as important to note that people have the right not to make a political statement too. And we can't throw people under the bus like Derek Wolf who want to stand and, and believe wholeheartedly in what the flag represents. So I think that's something that's been lost in the shuffle that it's just as un-American and it's just anti-First Amendment to to make someone make some type of political gesture as it is to stifle them from doing so. And that's fair. You know, it's a touchy subject because anytime you border into politics, you know, you're going to, it doesn't matter which way you cut it, someone's going to get pissed off because right. you got two sides of the aisle, you got two different ideologies. I mean, really, there's more than two, but when you really boil it down, someone's always going to get pissed For off. For all intents and purposes, yeah, it's a, it's a bipolar system. You can't win, nope. and unfortunately, that's what really this whole thing has taken a, a life of its own in a way that nobody is winning, and in reality now, the NFL is losing. As somebody who is uh, as plugged into a fan base as anyone in the country, um, I can tell you right now that the, what happened over the weekend is just, it's going to have some collateral damage. 
uh, the likes of which I don't think the NFL has seen quite yet. A lot of people are really up in arms over the scale in which the players protested over the weekend. And again, we're not here to say right or wrong. We're not here to uh, pass judgment. Uh, but, you know, it's something that we hope passes soon. But for today, we got a lot to get to. Uh, but first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Totally recreational, and there are all kinds of prizes. In today's climate, the fantasy industries have made watching football a lot more interesting, so go to MyBookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Now, huddle up. We're here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow without you. Each and every week, we're going to ask you to take some time and go rate and review the show, whether you're an iTunes listener or if you're on Stitcher. Big reason for it obviously helps us grow, helps us rise up charts, reach new listeners, and we love that you're subscribing and supporting the show, but if you have not done it, take a second, go leave a review, rate the show. It's going to help us out tremendously. And also make sure you are following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, at Mile High Huddle, like Mile High Huddle on Facebook. Make sure you're following us because we're in the middle of the season. I mean, the bullets are flying. First loss of the year, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, well, the Broncos took to the road for the first time this season to battle the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park, New York. Some people were calling it a uh, trap game, and I still wouldn't go so far as to call it that. The Broncos did lose, of course, 26-16, to but... The Bills looked like the better team on Sunday, and that's why I wouldn't call it a trap game. It's the NFL. They all get paid, and each team has, you know, is replete with, with talent. Now, they looked like the better team, the Bills, on Sunday. Will that hold true for the next 13 games? You know, we'll see. But Buffalo most certainly wanted that game more than the Broncos did, and it was a kind of psychological reversal, if you will. Last week, of course, the Broncos played the role of the disrespected home underdogs when the Cowboys came to town. Dallas was drinking their own Kool-Aid, perhaps a bit too much, and Denver took it to them. This week, tables were turned, and it was the Bills cast as the home dogs, with the Broncos perhaps reading, I think, too many of their own press clippings on the plane ride out to, to the East Coast. Buffalo clearly took exception to the Broncos being favored by the odds makers, and they just took it to them. Let's run down, though, first the team stats just really quick to uh, kind of set the stage, set the table here. The time of possession was actually pretty even, with Buffalo having a slight edge at 30 minutes, 26 seconds. The Broncos produced more total yards of offense, which is part of what's so mystifying about this game. They finished with 366 total yards to Buffalo's 272. Denver totaled 255 passing yards to Buffalo's 197. You can go on. On the ground, the Broncos rushed for 111 yards to Buffalo's 75. On third down, the Broncos converted 6 of 14, while Buffalo converted 6 of 16. Now, I go through this so you can understand, you know, the box score, obviously. The Broncos outproduced the Bills in almost every major category but two. Turnovers and red zone. Broncos turned the ball over twice, both of which, of course, in the second half. We're going to talk more about that uh, here in a few minutes. But the Bills, of course, did not turn the ball over in the red zone. The Broncos converted just one of three possessions inside the 20s into a touchdown, while Buffalo converted two of their three trips. And we're going to go through and talk about the nuances of this game, but at the end of the day, it was the turnovers that really decided this thing well. They they also turned the ball over on downs the Broncos with the fake punt snafu. We'll get to that. It is the one stat not associated with scoring that most directly correlates to wins and losses, and that's turnovers. And the Broncos did it more on Sunday than their opponents. Subsequently, they lost the game. Now, we can talk about the missed opportunities. We can talk about poor officiating. But I do have to wonder how much the take-a-knee firestorm kind of convoluted this game for the Broncos. But no matter which way you cut it, Will, Vance Joseph's team did not play sharp football. Right. And I tend to believe in, in the idea of trap games. But my problem with calling Sunday a trap game is... If everybody knows ahead of time that it's a trap game, can it really be a trap game? Like can can you lead someone into like a like a <laughs> like a trap floor that's wide open that right. you haven't even covered up with leaves? I, I don't is, think so. Is it a trap if if your prey knows it's a trap? Yeah, if there's a sign that says I'm gonna trap you right here. 
I tend to think not, but it, it was a winnable game, obviously, kind of looking at the at the flow of events, but it was just one of those games, and maybe this is this is me, and I know you didn't I know you didn't get a chance to see the game live, so you might not have had the same reaction, but it was one of those games where you just have a bad feeling right from right from the outset. It's it's an East Coast game. It's an early start. Buffalo, especially in September, for whatever reason, when when the weather hasn't sucked the life out of Bills Mafia yet, and right. that and their usually poor record at the end of the season, they're home underdogs. The media had basically been patting the Broncos on the back for a week since they beat the Cowboys in pretty tremendous fashion. Yep. And then there's a couple of calls that change the course of the game, which we'll talk to, or we'll talk about. And then, of course, the turnovers too. So overall, if you if you look back at it and you point to a few moments here and there, you could say, well, if this went differently, and it easily could have, yep. it was a very winnable game. But at the same time, if you're watching it from the start and you kind of take the week of context uh, into account, it just felt like one of those games where everything was – was going to go against the Broncos and they were kind of doomed from the get go. And it was such a weird week in the NFL that you almost want to just like throw everything out the window. And and maybe we will in in the long term, hopefully uh, if you're a fan of the Broncos. But so I think for those reasons, I'm not too concerned overall and it doesn't really change my perception of the Broncos because I I, I thought going into the season that they're a wild card kind of fighting for a wild card and and maybe they get in type of team. Mm -hmm. And after yesterday, I still think that's what they are. We shall see. But I will agree with you that it was a bizarre week. And I, yeah. think, I think we'd be fooling ourselves, and I think even hearing Vance Joseph talk about it on Monday and other coaches across the NFL, that the whole take-a-knee firestorm didn't affect the product on the field over the weekend. We're lying to – you know, you're lying. Maybe, maybe not in a sense that you're trying to deceive anybody, but you're not being truthful at least to yourself. I mean, there was clearly sure there was clearly an effect, and I wouldn't say you know Vance Joseph talked about. I won't play the clip, but Vance Joseph talked about. Look, yeah, there was a distraction. Players took it personally what the president said, et cetera, et cetera. But when they stepped out onto the grass and the the first whistle gets blown, you know they're all about playing football. They're professional football players, and while I, I get that, and I I believe that's true to a certain extent, the mind, the mental aspect, the emotional aspect also takes its toll. Yeah, and I think we we tend to think that just because football players are professional are professionals means that they're automatically able to compartmentalize everything. And I don't think that's true. Yeah. And and we don't apply it to everything because if you look at, you know, some of the most storied games in, the, in NFL history like Brett Favre's game in Oakland after his dad died. Mm-hmm. Don't you think everybody talks about the emotional impact that 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 had on his performance that night? And I I think that's uh, I think that's totally true, and so I, th- I think it applies to other facets of, of life as well. And I think politically it has a lot to do with that. Um, I think it's a reason why <laughs> I think it's a reason why you know they canceled games the week after uh, September 11th, and obviously yeah. this is nowhere near that magnitude. Yeah. And, and there's so much debate still about you know why they didn't cancel games in 1963 after the. Kennedy assassination and clearly in in 2001 it would have had a huge impact and it wasn't right to play football that week but you know I I wouldn't go as far as to say that it affected um, any team's performance more than the other just because there was nothing you know franchise specific about what was going on and and maybe it affected just the quality as a whole or or just everybody's mindset Um, but I certainly wouldn't pin any of the Broncos failures on it. Well, let's talk about Trevor Simeon. Let's talk about Mike McCoy and that bizarre game plan. When, You know what? I made a video on uh, Sunday night kind of breaking down Trevor Simeon, and I was a tad harsh, and I had to take a step back and really look overall at the game plan. But still, when Trevor Simeon has a bad day, Will, it's a bad day. And he looked pretty sharp in the first half, went into halftime on pace for a 300-yard game, which was the first problem in and of itself. More on that shortly, but... Simeon had a few off-target throws in the first half, but in the second, man, was he off. He only completed 50% of his throws in the second half through two untimely interceptions. On the first pick, the Broncos' defense bailed him out, fortunately forced a punt. But on the second, the Broncos were down by seven in the fourth quarter, 
and the Bills proceeded to suck seven-plus minutes off the clock, which forced the Broncos to utilize all their timeouts, came away with another field goal, the Bills, which extended the lead to two scores and basically put the game out of reach. There simply wasn't enough time. Uh, but Simeon was off, Will, on the road. But the game plan, here's where I want to give him a little bit of a break. The game plan was just bizarre. Mike McCoy called a game in which he asked his young quarterback to throw up 40 times on the road. And, you know, the mystifying aspect to this is that the Broncos were never in the kind of hole where teams traditionally feel like they it's dictated for them to abandon the run. I mean, right. in the second half, it was only a four-point deficit, and then a seven-point before Bu- uh, Buffalo's final death knell drive there. And C.J. Anderson, you look at the numbers, Jamal Charles, they were both being productive on the ground. Anderson averaged well over four yards per carry on the day. Charles was at 6.2. So, you know, the Broncos again eclipsed the 100-yard rushing mark as a team, which is solid. But when you look at the amount of times they rushed it compared to their pass, so the run-pass ratio is just lopsided. 40 passes, now this doesn't count uh, sacks, to 23 rushes. Here's what Coach Vance Joseph said about the game plan specifically on Monday after having watched the film twice. I don't think it was out of sync. You know, you know I, thought, I thought they gave us a, a number of different looks that they kept us guessing. You know, they played, they played a lot of heavy box stuff on uh, obvious rundowns and forced us to uh, throw the football. And we threw it enough, and, you know, we didn't win enough on, on outside. And um, on third downs, they, they played some shell stuff and bought some pressure stuff that were good stuff. So they, um, they coached very well yesterday. All right, so the decision to abandon the run, in my mind, just put the onus on Simeon. And I think going into this game, we felt like he might be kind of burgeoning into the type of player where he could handle that pressure. And clearly, Mike McCoy had every confidence in his young quarterback to shoulder that load. But he just, Simeon, couldn't do it. He finished the day 24 of 40, 259 yards, a couple of interceptions, no touchdowns, sacked three times, all of which pro football focus credited to him, finished with a rating of 58.2. Now, my thing is this, Will. I hope the Broncos learned a lesson from this. You know, yes, the Bills were stacking the box at times, but the Broncos were still making them pay when they rushed. And the Bills' secondary we're keeping the passing windows to just a slim margin for Simeon. It was just a just a head scratcher to me, Will. And I just feel like at the end of the day, they put the sh- the load on Simeon's shoulders, and he just couldn't get it done. Right. So it it really did bother me, I guess, that McCoy seemed to abandon the run game, especially in the second half when they're only down one score until the last two minutes when they're down ten, and obviously you have to throw there. Um, kind of didn't really matter what they did, but. Anderson, I know he did have a good average, but it was really, really skewed because he picked up 32 of his 36 total rushing yards on one carry. So I think it was generally tough sledding, especially for for C.J. Anderson in the early going. So they weren't they weren't having a lot of effectiveness effectiveness there, and that's not that's not to slight C.J. because they were they were packing eight in the box, yeah, just fair. about every play. On the other side of the coin, though, Jamal Charles was consistently good. And he looked, he looked patient, he looked quick, and he was powerful. And I, I think you said he averaged six yards a carry. And he was really just getting the most out of um, out of every carry, and especially in that touchdown, too. It was only 12 yards out, but he, yeah. he kind of looked like Le'Veon Bell. And I know he's lost this step, and there's no denying it, that he's he's not as fast as he is or Still as he got was. that wiggle. Yeah, he wasn't. he's not as – fast in a straight line as he was in Kansas City but he's kind of made up for it in terms of patience and and letting his block develop if you look at that touchdown too he he waits for Emmanuel Sanders to get there and then put in that final block before he accelerates the end zone I think that was kind of the difference but moving on to Simeon I think Denver basically gave him the DAC treatment that Dallas gave their quarterback (laughs) yeah last weekend ironic and I don't I don't think he did really a poor job of executing for most of the game and if you take that that Sanders play into account, and if you think that's a catch, and that's something we'll kind of debate later, he, he's over 300 yards. Right. And Buffalo stacked the box, not believing in Trevor Simeon, and, and daring him to throw the ball over their heads. And for the most for the most part, he did a pretty good job of it. And especially because that that Sanders play was a pretty good example because they had trips left and, and no safety help because they had the safety in the box on, on a third and four or third and five, I think it was, and he just put it right over their heads and that's 44 yards if the officials do their jobs but <laughs> that's something to talk about later but 
when you call pass after pass and you drill it into the quarterback's head in the second half that he has to be the one to win the game, which is an odd thing to, to tell your quarterback um, through kind of a, a play calling message type communication mm-hmm. uh, when you're only down by seven points. I think right. that explains the two picks because they're both unscripted plays when Simeon forced the ball after he had left the pocket. One play where he, the first pick, he, he had drifted left, which he tended to do a lot in that game, which I, I think was probably a mistake. He's, not, he's definitely and no right-handed quarterback, quarterback is as good drifting to their left as they are to his right. But they were both times where he's trying to extend the play and trying to do a little too much and i think that's just a mental error but he did he wasn't perfect obviously if you take out those two plays he was floating a few balls which i think is a product of throwing off of your back foot when you're uncomfortable with your pass protection which the tackles actually held up garrett bowles and Menelik watson did a really good job um and i think simeon was kind of seeing ghosts a little bit but that's fair considering <laughs> how bad the protection was uh, in in the prior weeks especially from the right side but he so he's floating balls and he kind of neglected the middle of the field and, and and wasn't really looking at his tight ends but again i think it's unwise to overreact after one off game and i think you know it's fair to call it a bad call it a bad game yeah. um, especially when he, he had that type of decision making uh, in the second half, but they just have to get back to the formula, which what was working, which is you know establish the run, give them quick throws, and and I don't think I, I think we have to give the Bills defense credit because they're a good they're a good defense. They held Cam Newton and the Panthers to ten points last week, so yeah, credit to them. I think really what it comes down to is is Simeon was in a groove and he was flowing in the first half and in the second. The way that Buffalo was playing him just threw him off. And really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is he just couldn't close. You know, Simeon was trying to do too much himself. And I'll agree with you that both those picks, one of which, you know, he was trying to throw it out of bounds for crying out loud, and he couldn't quite get it out out the boundary. But he was just, I think he just felt the pressure of trying to do too much. And, you know, it's just one of those where the rubber met the road situations. He couldn't get it done. He couldn't get over the hump. And a lot of that, I do believe, comes down to scheme and game planning. And I think the coaches will learn a lot from this game. I mean, more is, right. learned, more is learned from losses in the NFL and in life than successes, to be honest with you. So, you know, I think the Broncos will, will uh, bounce back. I think Trevor Simeon will bounce back at home. But the one thing I will say as a caution, and again, I agree with Will in the sense that we don't want to overreact to this. But a cautionary note is the Broncos are going to have, a later on in the season, a three-game road stretch. And so it'll be interesting to see what type of lessons they learned out of this and how they apply that down the road. Now, let's talk about the missed opportunities. Let's talk about the poor officiating. And the first, really, that comes to mind, you talked about it, the Emmanuel Sanders, let's call it, incomplete pass. Five minutes to go, second quarter. Simeon connects with Sanders 44 yards and it was ruled incomplete after review. So it was reversed, actually. So to me, this was a completed catch, a fumble, and then a fumble recovery for Emmanuel Sanders. I understand why it was reversed by the officials, you know, but I still think they got it wrong. The ball moved, etc. But Sanders controlled it and took at least three steps by my count while he had the ball under control before it was eventually, of course, popped loose. And really, that play sucked the life out of the drive. The Broncos ended up punting. Was that, in your mind, though, Will, a catch fumble? Or did the officials get it right and it was an incomplete pass? Because to me, we're getting farther and farther into this gray area on what is and isn't a catch anymore, and it's vast. Yeah, that's definitely the key. Because at first, uh, when I was watching it live, I thought it was a drop because I saw saw the ball come out when he hit the ground. But And I'm still not 100%. And you can't be. I don't know how anybody can be 100% because we don't know what a catch is and because there's, there's no definition of what a catch is. And they, they say that you have to secure the ball and make a football move, but what is a football move? Right, right. Like isn't, isn't everything – secure? Yeah, because well, <laughs> I don't know. These are such vague, broad terms, and I'm, I'm glad that no one in the NFL uh, works for the uh, American justice system because we'd have a lot more problems than we do right now. That's for damn but, sure. Yeah, isn't everything that you do on a football field a football move? Right. Uh, I mean, I, I sincerely don't get it, and I think the, the rule needs to be overhauled, but I hate the uncertainty of, of the play. 
And I still don't know that it's a catch, but I think I'm going to err on the side of Sanders um, catching it. And then I think it, I don't remember who it was, maybe Tredavious White, who cares, but knocking it out and then Sanders recovering the fumble on the ground. But I think it kind of under, underscored what was such a poorly officiated week um, of football for the NFL. And that wasn't just the Broncos game, but after that, I, I turned on the Seahawks-Titans game, and Richard Sherman should have been kicked out of the game pretty quickly after I think he got three personal fouls on one play and then hit Marcus Mariota out of bounds kind of in pretty vicious fashion. But yeah. that and then there's this phantom holding call that negated an Dory Jackson punt return touchdown. And to be honest, I, I think the, the over-officiating and the poor officiating this week in the NFL turned me off of it more than any protest or kneel down could ever do. And that's fair. You know, I think that at times the officiating crews need to be reminded of kind of the postseason rules, which is let these guys play unless there's an egregious penalty that affects the flow of the game. And in the case of this, you know, wasn't a penalty what we're discussing now with Emmanuel Sanders, but that play was ruled a catch, and I don't think based on our understanding of what a catch is in the rule book, which, again, is very gray, I, I, I found it hard to understand why they overturned that particular call. But let's move on and talk about Vance Joseph's decision to execute a fake punt. It was fourth and two from Denver's own 31. About 33 seconds left in the third quarter. Before we break... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner this down let's hear it from coach joseph himself on his decision to go for it well obviously the fake punt is 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 my call solely okay an idea of that fake punt was obviously we wanted it to be within fourth and one fourth and two it was fourth and two okay so we ran our offense line off kind of mixed them in with the with the punt team and ran those guys back on okay so we wanted our offensive line versus their punt return team which is all defensive backs and one linebacker, okay? We ran our O-line back on, okay? We had the perfect look, okay? But we were short one guy. So when he ran on, it kind of gave him a chance to kind of see what we were doing. But watching the tape last night and this morning, if the ball was snapped at the appropriate time, you know, in my opinion, it would have been a good play. Now, it didn't work. So it was a bad play, and it's solely my fault. All right, Will. So Joseph thought they had the look. Uh, they wanted, but one player, and I believe it was Lorenzo Doss, forced the Broncos to basically delay the snap, which took away the element of surprise and gave Buffalo the opportunity to realize what was happening, and it was easily stopped, as Joseph pointed out, by mostly a group of DBs against Denver's first-team offensive line, which is very disappointing, and it gave Buffalo amazing field position, which they then converted into another three points. But your thoughts, Will, on the decision for uh, Joseph to go for it there down by four points late in the game. You know what? I, I know this isn't the popular position um, after the game especially, but I don't hate the decision. Um, and maybe that goes back to me feeling like it was a game where it, it felt like everything was stacked against the Broncos. And so you kind of want to see if you can make your own look, luck and, and <laughs> kind of take things into your own, ha- your own hands. Right. And so I can't really fault them for doing that, especially if the look was there. You know, I, I trust them. If the look is there, it's there. So, so if you plan for it, go for it. But I do question the execution of the play and how long it took yeah. to, to get the punt unit out there because then you're just, you're just tipping your hand. And if you're going to take that long, then – Obviously, the element of surprise is gone, and it doesn't matter if there's a look because they're waiting for it. So I think uh, as a general rule of thumb, from now on, they should just leave the fake punts uh, to Riley Dixon. <laughs> I'm with you, though. I don't, you know, in retrospect, especially coming out of a loss, it's easy to judge these things and just say, oh, you shouldn't have done it. It was a bad decision. But I like the aggressiveness. It's a breath of fresh air, to be honest with you, coming out of the, the Gary Kubiak regime for the last two years. It's unfortunate it didn't work out. They need to work on their communication, obviously, and execution in that sense. 
but I don't think it was the wrong decision. Now, we still have a lot to get to, uh, but first, we once again want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement, people, of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, real lines, and real totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as college sports, and compete for great prizes, courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform that'll make users feel like they were in a real betting site. MyBookie is not a gambling or play-for-money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games and predicting scores and competing for free prizes without risking any hard-earned money. Just like the Office Pick'em Contest, just like fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It is fun, and for no cost, you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes again. Service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to my bookie for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. Okay, let's talk about the Von Miller unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that really killed any chance of the Broncos coming back. Yeah. Uh, the elephant in the room. Simeon had just thrown that second interception, trying to throw it out of bounds. The Bills took over. The Broncos' defense had just stopped him on third down at the Broncos' 46-yard line. On that third down, Von Miller stunted, ran straight through the A-gap, and totally clocked Tyrod Taylor, forcing an incompletion. He wasn't flagged for hitting Taylor. What happened was Von, from there, stuck his hand out to ostensibly help Taylor to his feet, and then suddenly pulled his hand back like you've done with your little brother millions of times. Too slow. The gotcha move. Uh, both Miller and Taylor were laughing. It was actually, I mean, it was hard to see any kind of ill intent there. But the referee, Carl Cheffers, decided that his purview exceeded only protecting the quarterback physically. Now, apparently, he believes it's his job to protect quarterback's feelings. Gave the uh, Bills an extra 15 yards and a first down, which culminated in another four-plus minutes getting sucked off the clock, and then that last field goal, which extended the lead uh, to 10 points. Now, after the game, Will, Vaughn fell on the sword, as well he should, because even though it was supposed to be harmless, it wasn't smart, really, and it cost the team in the clutch. Here's what Coach Joseph said about it on Monday. Well, he understands that it was called. So if it was called... It's our responsibility not to do it. So um, he gets that. And obviously, Vaughn's a team captain. He's a team leader. So that that penalty hurt us. And that, you know, he understands that. But it was called. All right, Will. So the ridiculousness of that call, I mean, we're all dumbfounded by it. My instinct when it first happened was to just berate Miller and talk about how, you know, it's just not being situationally aware. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, who could have predicted that that would have triggered a flag? No one. And it really bothered me because it was clearly 100%, I think, to 99% of the population would know that it was a joke. And it's something that he's done before, uh, like against the Vikings back in 2015, and he was not flagged, So, and nor should he have been. And But most importantly – it changed the entire course of the game. And it's not why the Broncos lost, obviously, because there, I think there's a, a few bad calls on both sides for the Broncos and for the Bills. But it killed any chance of them coming back. So in, instead of the Broncos getting the ball back down seven points with five, five minutes left to go in the game and all three of their timeouts, yep. they get the ball with two minutes down ten points and zero timeouts. Yep. So shame on head official – Carl Sheffers for, first of all, not having a sense of humor, <laughs> and and I'm, it, it's funny now, but uh, it's really not if you think about it because um, he didn't have a sense of humor, and second of all, he had zero sense of what impact that flag would have on the game, and it's different maybe if you call it in the first quarter to set a precedent on what behavior you think is acceptable yeah. and i still think i i still wouldn't be able to justify it but it's it's different and it, it and kind of to another point too you can live with it if it's a bad call 
like a bad holding call or a bad pass interference call because at least that has something to do with the game and and referees are humans and they they make mistakes and and they make error and that's just part of the game and that's just something we all have to live with with football but that was just a clear judgment call no that's a that's a i think a character flaw for carl cheffers to think that that is worthy of changing the entire course of the game yep. and putting the broncos out of it and directly contributing to three points for the bills because that is a three point penalty so and another thing is it's really frustrating because Vaughn Miller has to go up and he has to go in front of the podium and, and talk to the media and take responsibility, which he didn't have to do because he wasn't responsible for anything bad. But he did anyway because he's really turning into a consummate leader and that's what leaders do. But Cheffers doesn't have to go in front of anybody and he doesn't have to explain himself at all. Yeah. And I guarantee that he's not going to face any discipline because the NFL doesn't want to do anything that's going to call attention to basically anything that would reflect poorly on the game. But, you know, Miller and Joseph said the right things and that's what good leaders do when they're in front of, you know, outside parties like the media and the fans and, and to some extent the NFL that's watching their press conferences and can find them if they say something poor about the officials, which, you know, if you if you want to talk about – and I know the NFL is a private company, so I'm, I'm not being completely serious, but if you want to talk about for the First Amendment <laughs> – um, that's something to look into, but that's what good leaders do. They accept responsibility no matter what, but internally they know that that call was a hundred percent garbage and we do too. Each week, Vance Joseph talked about it on Monday. The team usually submits, you know, a handful of plays, four or five plays to the league for review, looking for further explanation on why this was called and why that was called. And, uh, of course, that's going to be one of them because they cost, as you say, you can't say it necessarily cost them the game because so many other events conspired and led up to that point. But what you can say with authority is that it cost them the opportunity to come back in that game. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out in terms of, you know, future ramifications, if it does set any kind of precedence. And really, if there's anything on my part that I could criticize Miller for and it's not necessarily something he could have known beforehand. Who, who could have figured that would be called a penalty? But if I could criticize him on anything in that regard, it would just simply be that in the clutch, in such a key moment, you just got to play better within yourself. And maybe maybe a better explanation is have have better situational awareness and know that sometimes it's not there's there's certain points in the game where it's not worth it to take any kind of risks in that sense but uh and but still that's just making excuses for the officials it was it was a bad call all right now we promised we'd make time for the mile high mailbag this week and we're going to stick to it because we are your football priests we're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning broncos questions and of course we always enjoy engaging with you our listeners. Now, our first question comes from Jacob Smith on Twitter at JSMileHigh9798. His question, I know the QB question doesn't want to be asked, but Simeon made two inexcusable throws yesterday, the throwaway interception and the hopper to Sanders. Um, It's week three. Now the hopper, I think he's referring to the final throw of the game for him. It's week three, not time to panic, but with the Raiders coming uh, in the bye week following, how long is Simeon's leash? Now, Will, I'll let you answer first for Jacob, a loyal listener to the show. Yeah, thank you for the question, Jacob. Uh, but to answer it pretty clearly, uh, Simeon's not going anywhere, um, at least not after um, last week's or Sunday's results. Um, I don't think Brock Osweiler or, or Paxton Lynch win that game yesterday. I really don't. I, I think it's probably you know, a bigger deficit, but I think more importantly, he's earned the right to have a bad game every now and then and not have his job questioned. Uh, and of course, if it turns into a trend and I don't think it's going to, but then we can talk about it and then we can talk about what his leash looks like. But, you know, fortunately coaches aren't as short sighted and as reactionary as people on Twitter are. And I'm not talking about Jacob, but I'm, I'm just talking about Twitter as a whole. So sure. yeah. I think that's a really good thing or else, you know, we'd be making quarterback changes like Bill O'Brien does. <laughs> and nice. no, no one would know uh, who was starting for any given team uh, from week to week. I agree with you. If it becomes a trend, then you have to start questioning the leash. And the, the reality is that Trevor Simeon had 
two very impressive performances to start the season, went on the road as a young quarterback, did not play well, didn't execute in the clutch, but he also was handed a very bizarre game plan by his coaches, and I can promise you that they are going to recognize that uh, behind closed doors and plan ahead, uh, or I should say plan moving forward accordingly. If it does become, you know, if if Simeon strings together two, three, four bad games in a row like that, he, like any other quarterback in the NFL, is going to have his lease shortened and you're going to start having serious conversations, not just in the media, not just in the fan base, but behind the closed doors at Dove Valley as to who should be the quarterback. But that time is not now. Now, next question comes from Mile High Maniac on Twitter, at Mile High Maniac. Question, what is up? With Justin Simmons, the Broncos are clearly missing T.J. Ward. Now, before we answer this question, I, I thought it'd be good to pull a quick quote from Coach Joseph on the specific issue of Justin Simmons' performance in Week 3. Here's what he said. I thought Justin played well outside of missing two critical tackles on third down. You know, But as far as his, his pass coverage, he's been very, very solid. And he's he's tackled well the first two weeks. Yesterday he missed, he missed Shady McCoy uh, two times on third downs, which is not a easy task. All right. Now I see Simmons problems being mostly due to his inexperience. Um, the lack of chemistry in the no fly zone, I think right now has led to some communication breakdowns, which was evident on Sunday. A few of those throws, just wide open crossers and stuff like that. And I know Shady McCoy is a beast. He's one of the best in the league, probably right now the hardest person to tackle in the NFL. Uh, talk about wiggle. But Simmons, you know, you're an NFL safety. You're part of the no-fly zone. You can't miss open field tackles, and you sure as hell can't miss them on third down. My answer, uh, Mile High Maniac, is give Simmons a little bit more time. He's a talented young safety. In coverage, when he is matched up one-on-one, I've been impressed with him. It's just some of the mental lapses, and he's got to tighten up as a tackler. Will, your answer for uh, Mile High Maniac. I don't think there's any reason to say that TJ Ward would clearly be an upgrade at this point. I know that Simmons did have a bad game, but I don't really think that changes anything. And you know, stuff happens, and he wasn't he wasn't the only guy on the Broncos defense to have a bad game. That's for sure. But he actually, according to Pro Football Focus, this is a real stat. It sounds made up, but he hadn't ever missed a tackle in uh, all of his opportunities from the start of his career until yesterday. And it's a pretty incredible stat. So those are the first two missed tackles of his career, and they're big, and they're really ill-timed. But that's going to happen, and he's fine, and he's he's still a really above-average safety. And it doesn't change the fact that he, he provides more in coverage than T.J. Ward does. And I, I still think T.J. Ward is a very good player, but I, I'm not I'm not going to toss the just like with Simeon. I'm not going to toss the first two games out of the window because he missed two tackles. Simeon threw two interceptions. Justin Simmons missed two tackles. Doesn't make either bad players. Yeah. Right now you're looking at more of an outlier. And if it continues, you know, he's a young player. Uh, I think really, again, just to reiterate, the biggest issue is just experience playing together. And that comes to a certain point. The way it resolves itself is in communication breakdowns. And those those kinks will get ironed out as the season marches ahead. Now, our last question comes from Dion Hicks on Twitter, at Dion Hicks. Question, is there anything we can take from the Raiders-Redskins game last night? The Skins completely shut the Raiders' offense down. Will, your answer for Dion. So I'm, I'm really tempted to say that the Raiders are frauds and they stink and they're done in 2017. But I don't want to be a hypocrite because I, I just talked about – I just went on a long diatribe uh, why I'm not going to have a knee-jerk reaction to Trevor Simeon or Justin Simmons. So I guess I won't overreact to the game last night. But I think it did show a few cracks in the Raiders' offensive line, which we thought was this you know perfect, immaculate unit. Yeah. Until last night, they just got they got pushed around. And if you want to talk about, you know, guys that quarterbacks that that aren't as good when they don't have, you know, their supporting cast working in their running game, flowing in their offensive line, you know, playing perfectly. And you want to pin that on Trevor Simeon. You could say the same exact thing about Derek Carr last night because he looked a lot worse than Trevor Simeon against uh, a defense that I I don't think anybody would would put up with the Bills right now. Not to say that the Redskins didn't play really well defensively because they did, but you know it, it shows their offensive line isn't 
perfect like we thought and we we knew going into it that they're not a great defense and they certainly aren't outside of Khalil Mack but Jay Gruden did a really good job of exploiting uh, their flaws in coverage and they attacked them pretty well with with Chris Thompson about a, a just a it just felt like big play after big play and they just had no idea what to do with him because I don't think they have, they have a, a linebacker really that can match up with a, a good pass receiving mm-hmm. halfback and so you know there these aren't really new revelations on defense of the Raiders I think it is on their offensive line but I'm not um I'm not ready to say that they're not still a good team. I think they certainly are. And they're not as good as the Chiefs, but I, I didn't think they were before that game. So it'll be interesting to see who responds better to a loss because the Broncos and, and the Raiders are both going to be playing each other coming off of losses next week. And um, if, if I had to say right now, I think you'd give Denver the advantage just because they'll be playing at home. Yeah, and it's a divisional game. Both teams are going to have their dander up. Both teams are I can promise you this game is going to be a close game. But it will be I think a harbinger of how the season is going to unfold for both teams who comes out on top in in week 4 and it's going to be really important for the Broncos in particular having a, a week 5 bye to enter that bye on on a high uh, and feeling good about the first quarter of the season. Now, we've done away with the risers and fallers in a win last week. Will and I each handed out our respective game balls, but this time the Broncos lost. So no game balls to be given. Instead, let's focus on a couple of players. We're going to call it our badge of shame. Guys who absolutely just need to step it up. Um, Will, start us off. Give me two, three players who contributed to the Broncos' Week 3 loss that just simply have to turn the ship around play better in Week 4? So I'm going to start with the aforementioned Justin Simmons just because he, he missed those two pretty crucial tackles. And I'm still not – I'm I'm not going to say he's any worse a player than he was going into Week 3, but I he did have a bad game. There's no denying yeah, that. But, step it up. You know. Right, he does have to step it up next week, and but at the same time, like I don't, I don't know many players that can consistently make open field tackles on Lashawn McCoy. Yep. So, yeah, again, not overreacting, but he did have a bad game. Um, second, Will Parks because he missed a, a pretty big tackle too, and I think he had an unsportsmanlike penalty yep. somewhere on a punt uh, return. Yeah, and so that that's really bad for field position too. And thirdly, he's not a player, he's not a coach, but he is a referee. Carl Sheffers, get a sense of humor, get get a sense of significance and, and context, mm-hmm. and I don't know, loosen up, man. Yeah, you know, for me, I'm going to start with Trevor Simeon. And again, I've given you the caveats in terms of, you know, he, he didn't get the, the, the greatest hand dealt to him in terms of that game plan. But at the same time, you expect your, your quarterback, if, if his number is called, to execute said game plan and yep. the Trevster just came up short. So in a very important, absolutely pivotal, key divisional game at home, no less, he's got to step it up. Uh, another one for me, the no-fly zone, just generally speaking, uh, week three, they were off. There was just a few lapses there that just really frustrated me, and, and one in particular, mm-hmm. too. It's kind of a busted play, so it's hard to pin too much of the blame, but that, that touchdown to the tight end, Clay, just really pissed me off that – he was allowed to just leak out like that with four or five different guys over pursuing to the to the right or the defensive left there. So just overall, I think the no-fly zone, they need to regroup. They need to batten down the hatches and get back into the business of taking out opposing teams' passing game. I mean, you look at Tyrod Taylor. What did he finish, 20 of 24? I mean, Something really, like a really high completion percentage. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen... Kind of seen, uncharacteristic... We haven't seen an opposing quarterback be that efficient uh, against the no-fly zone in, in many moons. So they got to tighten that up. And then lastly, for me, the coaches. I just don't think and, – and we heard Vance Joseph talk about it. The coach, the Buffalo Bills coaches, excellent. They, they coached the hell out of that game and yeah. outcoached, frankly, the Broncos, who in the previous two matches had outcoached their opponents. So, again, this is one of those learning moments uh, for the Broncos, teachable moments coming out of a loss – what do they learn? What can they apply moving forward? Because week four, again, very pivotal game, absolutely huge. Um, so they, they got to make sure they put their best foot forward and learn from their mistakes from last week. Now, before we get out of here, we want to say thank you as well to our sponsor, Audible. 
Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. This is a service, an app that I use on a daily basis. You guys have heard me, the loyal listeners, talk about this uh, week after week. I love this service. I'm a big reader, but I'm also a father for... Uh, got a lot going on with my job. Don't always have time to sit down and turn the pages on the books uh, that I want to. And Audible allows me to do that while I'm working out or doing yard work or in the kitchen or whatever in my commute. So the cool thing about this, you're supporting the show. You get a free trial. You get to choose a book. You choose the book, whichever interests you most. You get 30 days to give it a shot. If you don't like it, you get to cancel and if you try it, I can promise you, you will like it. You'll be glad that we pointed you toward Audible. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. And uh, that'll do it for today. Uh, I think I think we pretty much covered things. You know, one thing, one last thing, actually, before we get out of here, Will, that I want to talk about is I was impressed by Todd Davis. Todd Davis and Brandon Marshall both, yeah. actually, as a duo, I thought. Uh, performed very well, but especially Todd Davis. I've been going over the film, uh, preparing for my three uh, three takeaways from the film piece that I do each and every week. And Todd Davis was just jumping off the screen in terms of just being always being around the ball. And this this time around, last year he struggled at times getting off blocks. You know, being able to shed those big three hundred and 10, 320-pound uh, guards and interior players, and being able to get to the ball in time. And he really seems to have turned the corner in that sense. I can tell you, I'm thinking of two or three plays right now off the top of my head where he was in the muss, engages with a, a blocker, sheds him, and uh, gets to the ball carrier. So Todd Davis, to me, was a guy defensively who just really jumped out. Yep. Uh, there's something about guys that are from Sacramento, Nevada, I guess. <laughs> there you go. But uh, <laughs> but that's all the time we have for today, people. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6. Myself at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions. We're always going to try to address your concerns on the show. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Oakland game by Thursday morning. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.